the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, in which I once again look at the news highlights of the week and speak to a special guest in the interview segment. This week, in part two of my conversation with Father Christopher Pearson, pastor of Most Precious Blood Parish in London, we further explore one of Pope Benedict's major achievements in his search for Christian unity, the creation in 2009 of the Personal Ordinariate, a canonical structure within the Catholic Church, established to enable groups of Anglicans to join the Catholic Church while preserving elements of their liturgical and spiritual patrimony. Father Chris, in fact, was an Anglican pastor for 15 years and talks about his becoming a Catholic priest in the Ordinariate. Now to the top news stories of the week at the Vatican. Sunday, January 15th. At the Angelus, after reflecting on the Gospel of the Day, Pope Francis looked ahead to the traditional week of prayer for Christian unity that takes place every year from January 18th to the 25th, Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. He also announced an ecumenical prayer vigil to take place at St. Peter's Square on Saturday, September 30th, saying, We will entrust to God the work of the 16th Ordinary Assembly of the Synod of Bishops. He said that for the young people who will come to the vigil, there will be a special program throughout that weekend organized by the Taizé community. Monday, January 16th. A world that discards the sick which does not assist those who cannot afford treatment, is cynical and has no future. Pope Francis said this when meeting on Monday with members of the Italian National Federation of Radiology Technicians and the Technical Medical Rehabilitation and Prevention Professions. He praised the healthcare technologists for putting the human person in all his or her dimensions, physical, mental, and spiritual, at the center of their work not giving in to sterile efficiency or to a cold application of protocols. Sick people are people who ask to be treated and to feel cared for, and for this reason it's important to relate to them with humanity and empathy, he stressed. Also Monday, in a meeting with members of the Confederation of the Confraternities of the Dioceses of Italy, Francis exhorted them to be missionaries of God's love and tenderness. Founded in 2000 in the context of the Jubilee year, the Confederation has been working to welcome, support, and coordinate the rich and varied presence of the confraternities throughout Italian dioceses. In two years, the Confederation will celebrate its 25th anniversary in the context of the 2025 Jubilee year, whose motto is Pilgrims of Hope. Also Monday. A telegram was sent by Cardinal Secretary of State Pietro Parolin in the name of Pope Francis for the victims of an air crash in Nepal. Tuesday, January 17th. Yet another telegram was sent in the Pope's name with condolences for the victims of an attack on a Pentecostal church in the Democratic Republic of Congo. At least 14 people were killed and over 40 wounded. The Pope will be there next month. Wednesday, January 18th. At the weekly general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on apostolic zeal, focusing on its model and source, Jesus himself, whose entire life was devoted to communicating and dialoguing with others. 
He proclaimed the coming of God's kingdom not only by his preaching, but also by his ministry of healing, reconciliation, and forgiveness. As the Good Shepherd, the model for all pastors in the church, Jesus was completely committed to the welfare of his flock, said the Pope, protecting the fold, yet also setting out in search of the lost sheep. The Holy Father then asked all present for the weekly audience to join him in praying for Father Isaac Achi of Nigeria, who was killed last Sunday in an attack on his rectory. So many Christians, he said, continue to be the target of violence. Let us remember them in our prayers. Father was burned alive in the rectory fire. Also Wednesday. Wednesday marked the start of the week-long period in January known as the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, during which the Pope receives delegations from different Christian denominations and, in their presence, celebrates Vespers at St. Paul's Outside the Walls on the January 25th Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. The theme this year is taken from the prophet Isaiah, Learn to do good, seek justice. Thursday, January 19th. The Holy Father received a group of Cambodian Buddhists as part of an encounter to enhance interreligious cooperation. He praised efforts to foster dialogue among religions, as this helps people to live peacefully as brothers and sisters. He commended the group for gathering under the banner of ecological conversion, a positive sign of the growing sensitivity and concern for the well-being of the earth, our common home. Also Thursday, meeting in the Vatican with an ecumenical delegation from Finland, Pope Francis spoke about the importance of fully living the common call shared by all Christians baptized in Christ, that is, to work tirelessly for reconciliation and to be agents of reconciliation in a war-torn world. This is part of a customary ecumenical pilgrimage celebrating the Feast of St. Henrik, an English-born bishop martyred in Finland who's venerated by both Catholics and Lutherans. Friday, January 20th, Pope Francis sent a video message to participants in World Youth Day 2023 in Lisbon and urged young people to open their horizons and hearts to other pilgrims. Noting that over 400,000 young people have registered to attend the August 1st to 6th event, he said any young person who goes to WID goes because down deep he or she has the thirst to participate, to share, to tell their experience and receive the experience of others. They are thirsting for horizons. He added that World Youth Day offers young people the chance to look beyond. Don't put up a wall in front of your life. Walls close you in. The horizon makes you grow. Always look at the horizon with your eyes, but above all, with your heart. Also Friday, Francis welcomed members of the Society of the Sisters of Social Service on the centenary of the religious community's founding. He encouraged religious women to face social challenges only with the weapons of charity. Also Friday, Pope Francis invited all cardinals residing in Rome and the heads of dicasteries and superiors of the Roman Curia to take a week for prayer in Lent to experience in a personal way a period of spiritual exercises. He thus urged them to suspend their work activities and engage in prayer from the afternoon of Sunday, February 26th to the afternoon of Friday, March 3rd. By the way, this coming Sunday, January 22nd, is the third Sunday in Ordinary Time and the annual celebration of Sunday of the Word of God. Pope Francis will celebrate Mass in St. Peter's Basilica at 9.30. Now, 
Those are the news highlights, but stay tuned for my conversation with Father Christopher Pearson of London as we talk more of the structure erected by Pope Benedict called the Personal Ordinariate that welcomes groups of Anglicans into the Catholic Church. Hi, I'm Joan Ebistinsky, Station Manager at Holy Family Radio in Central Pennsylvania. When I found out about Catholic Radio, I knew that God wanted me to be a part of it, and I'm glad I am. Catholic Radio makes a difference in people's lives. It has the power to lead others to the truth of Christ and His Church. With Catholic Radio, we can nourish our Catholic family and share our faith with others. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. From Rome to your home, EWTN's Vatican Bureau lets you watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have a TV. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home. It's easy. Watch live on EWTN YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. How should we pray? The disciples asked our Lord that question, and He gave them the Our Father, or the Lord's Prayer. But He also gave them the liturgy, which is the most privileged form of prayer in the Catholic tradition, especially the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. We can pray with the whole church in the liturgy of the hours, or the divine office. And we should also pray in our own private room, our secret chamber, as Jesus says. And then our Father who sees us in secret will reward us. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and to part two of my conversation with Father Christopher Pearson, pastor of Most Precious Blood Parish in London. As you heard in part one, Father Chris is a friend of over a dozen years. He was in Rome to concelebrate at the January 5th funeral of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. What links us is one of Benedict's major achievements, the creation in 2009 of the Personal Ordinariate, a canonical structure within the Catholic Church that enables groups of Anglicans to join the Catholic Church while preserving elements of their liturgical and spiritual patrimony. Enjoy. In in the Church of England, we're longing for this unity, and there are issues which now in the Church of England are commonplace, um, and they have become something political. Um, I'll say what they are. Um, Ordination of women, priests and bishops, uh, gay clergy, uh, gay marriage, uh, education, abortion, life issues. Uh, There is an Archbishop, former Archbishop of Canterbury, who is a great advocate for euthanasia, for example. So people love to pick these hot topic subjects. And it wasn't, they were just a presenting issues at that time, which were a bar for the unity for which we were praying and Jesus desired that we should be one so the world will believe. Um, the problem for, for us in the Church of England at that time was those things to work for unity had to be addressed. They weren't, we weren't one with, they weren't the issue, it was a problem to the real point of becoming into full communion. 
So at that time, we had to be careful, um, and we had basically a choice. For those who were longing for unity, for a Catholic outlook, we could either go with the flow and just buy in and say, OK, throw in the towel, we'll do this. A second option was the parishes that kind of took that line and wanted the unity of the church and were, were Catholic in faith and practice, although not in communion. Uh, we effectively drew a, a great big moat around our churches and a portcullis and don't come near me, we're UDI, we're on our own, leave us alone. Or the third is that we uh, say thank you to Pope Benedict and we become Catholics. And in my parish, uh, we had all discussions. We had an open forum um, and all those were presented and argued pros and cons. And I deliberately did not tell my parishioners what I was going to do. When we met Joan, it was in my mind, I knew what I was going to do. Yeah. I had consulted my Anglican bishop then, who was a gracious and lovely man, who was very kind to me. Um, and I included him in the conversation but I did not tell my parishioners because I wanted them to join because they wanted to join not because they were following me they had to follow the Lord Jesus not sure, follow me sure. um, and then the, there's a deadline for dates and you have to resign and, and so on and so forth so I was able to make an announcement of what I was doing but I did not want people to follow me you follow the Lord and his call sure. and even now probably in those days we had about 40 from my parish in Catholic numbers that's not many well, the uh, parishes are generally smaller, yeah. right? Yeah, but in Church of England numbers, that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a sizable number. Uh, and I, um, I neither encouraged nor discouraged. You had to make your own mind sure. up. But because they come following their own hearts, uh, most, if they haven't died or moved away, uh, most of us are still worshipping together. So the bizarre thing in, uh, when I'm now a pastor of uh, Precious Blood by London Bridge um, is that I'm probably more Anglican now than I ever was in the, in the Church of England. <laughs> but you know, when I attended Mass at your <laughs> parish, refresh my memory for the name. St. Agnes. St. Agnes, of course, thank you. When I attended Mass there, I could mm. not go to communion, but um, there was nothing in there that indicated it was not a Catholic church. From the vestments, the flowers, the altars, the statues, the, forget it, I mean, the, litur the whole liturgy. Yeah. Everything think, said Catholic. I think I may have said at the time, Joe, that is the only way you could have spotted the difference was that uh, the bishop is that we prayed for uh, John, whereas Catholics prayed for Peter. <laughs> uh -huh. Apart from that, you wouldn't know the difference. Okay, I, never, I, I guess I <laughs> failed to notice that. But and then the lovely meeting afterwards and coffee yes. and so forth with yeah. with a lot of the members. Um, but one thing I do remember then was as soon as the ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham was announced on January 1st, 2011, I mean, I bought a plane ticket. Mm. Because one thing that you did to help me, you and I had been communicating, obviously, in the meantime. But Keith Newton was named, who had been an Anglican bishop, was named as the ordinary of this new ordinariate. And you made possible, because of knowing him and your friendship, for me to interview him. It was one of the very first, if not yes. the first, interview okay. that he did. Yes. So to learn about him. And the interesting thing is that my, that my listeners should know is that he was a bishop in the Anglican Church, but um, because he was married, he would not be uh, considered a bishop in the Catholic Church. However, he can wear all of his yes. uh, presiding at a Mass um, Keith Newton can yes. wear all of his Episcopal attirement and mitre and, and so forth. And again, that was a generous thing from Pope Benedict, sure. where he said, if, uh, if, if 
Catholic priests were Anglican bishops. Um, if they request, then they may be afforded all of the uh, Episcopal dignitaries, um, uh, regalia they had in right. the Church of England. Had to ask for it, but it was afforded them. But the reason that Monsignor Newton is able to have that, because he's not a former bishop, is because he's the ordinary. So he has all the rights and jurisdictions right. of a bishop, even though he's not a bishop. Exactly. Which is not uncommon in the Catholic Church. Exactly. No, I've, how many meetings he's, you know, brought pilgrimage groups back oh, to Rome. Yes. We've, we've broken bread on a number of occasions. He's in Rome at the moment. You know. He's come for the funeral. Oh, oh, yes, that didn't surprise me at all. So, you know, I do want to look then, just for my listeners, I think it's important to know that the, or, the first one we mentioned was Our Lady of Walsingham in the UK. And then we had... Um, in 2012, we had ordinariates created in the United States. On January 1st, 2012, again January, the ordinariate for the U.S. was established with the name the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. And Jeffrey Steenson, who was the former bishop of the Episcopal Church, was the first ordinary. And then, an event I attended, in 2016 in Houston, Stephen Lopes, uh, who had, he became the ordinary of the chair of Peter, and that was announced in November 2015, and then he actually was ordained um, in February of 2016. He had been for years the secretary to Cardinal Levada, um, who had headed the CDF yes. Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. And then we have another um, ordinariate established on May 11, 2012, the Personal Ordinariate of Our Lady of the Southern Cross. And this um, is both for the Catholic Church in Australia, it's based in Perth, and um, also in Japan. There, uh, the extension is into Japan. So the Ordinariate, this amazing structure created by a very amazing, prolific pope, is now, we see that there's three of them, you are part, of course, of the uh, Our Lady of Walsingham. But let's talk about your thoughts on, on, on Pope Benedict. You know, first of all, it's wonderful how you went from being so disappointed mm. that he was elected Pope mm. to you know being one of the concelebrants at yes. his Mass. Yes. By the way, I understand 3,700 priests oh. will be, consecra- will be concelebrating well, at, at the funeral. So, yeah, put your best <laughs> on now. In any event... Tell us more about your feelings for Benedict, his work. You talked about Christian unity. And what do you see as some of the elements of his legacy? It's, it's, it's a wonderful kind of combination of extremes, really, is the fact that he's you know, a great intellect. I read theology at university, and it was a secular university where I studied. And I remember writing essays. And if you had to quote various theologians, philosophers, um, and, of course, Catholic-minded, as other than an Anglican, but Catholic-minded, and I would put a reference down from uh, Joseph Ratzinger, and the lecturers kind of would sometimes say, "Well, it doesn't really count. He's a Catholic. It doesn't kind of count, does it?" <laughs> Extraordinary, and yet, you know, the world must realise he's one of the greatest five intellectual minds, theological oh, minds in the world. Absolutely, um, and the wonderful uh, simplicity that he brings to that. Someone described him as being, yes, you know, the great intellect of a top university professor, but he has the faith of a first communion child and they are their first communion with the, yeah. the, the faith and devotion and love. It's a wonderful combination. And that combination somehow makes him, made him able to make the most complicated and difficult theological thoughts accessible. <laughs> you know what I called them? I said, you know, 
there's zingers and yeah. there's ratzingers. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and he could kind of make it so clear, and you must say, "Oh yes, oh yes." It was, you know, you shall see and see again and not perceive. You no, you shall see and you shall perceive. Yeah. So he was a wonderful. Um, uh, he was a wonderful neighbor. catechist. Yeah. One of the first examples I ever had when I came to Rome, when I began working with EWTN after the Vatican years, there was to be a celebration in St. Peter's Square of children of Rome who yes. had received their first communion. Well, Rome became all of Italy. I mean, and there was there was like 80,000 or more, I think it was more, people in the square. And the Pope was having the most wonderful yes. time. He'd have made a, a terrific grandfather. But five children were allowed to uh, form, formulate and ask the Pope questions. And one of the questions had to do with faith, what exactly is faith? You know, you're talking to an eight or nine-year-old, maybe ten. He explained it by saying, you know, when you walk into a room and you, turn, you hit this switch, lights go on. Yes. When you hit that switch, yes. you have faith yeah. that the light are going to go on. You don't know yes. why. You don't know how right away, yeah. but you hit that switch, you yeah. know the light's going to go on. And he got he enormous applause yes. greeted that answer, yes. like you said, that childlike yep. simplicity. And they get it. And there's something about children. If um, I'm involved in uh, infant and primary education, so kind of up to about the age of ten, um, and you can tell uh, if children are engaged and if they get it. And children have a knack of seeing authenticity. Yes. They know if you're kind of playing along or playing down to them or trying to, you know, right. not be sincere. Uh, but when Pope Benedict spoke, uh, he did it when he came to the UK in that 2010, um, there was the Great Assembly. Um, it was when all the, lots of secondary schools came and he gave an assembly to all the schools who were gathered. And again, That was, was a Twickenham. Oh, Wasn't you it? remember? I well was done. there. Oh, well done. I was yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, there's a kind of a, a, an authenticity, and the children, young people recognize it, and they say, oh, yep, this is, this is real. This is it. There's a lovely photograph when, um, it might have been St. Peter's Square, I think, where some children, primary school age children, so eight, nine, ten, came running up to him and gave him a hug. And uh, I don't know if it was planned or not, or if he was expecting it, but he clearly wasn't expecting it, and the sheer joy in his face as they run up to him, and he hugs them back again, and they hug sure. him. It's a wonderful innocence. It's a, a genuine joy of people understanding. Well, I think things. after the extrovert personality of John Paul too, you look at a Benedict yeah. who was much more of a reserved person. I would yeah. never say introvert because it's the wrong word. He was just much more reserved and circumspect. But then he'd break out of that in these moments. Yes. Oh, heavens, when he stood out on the balcony the day of his election yes. and he raised his hand, <laughs> if he'd had a trophy in his yeah. hand, he would have been the winning coach or something. Yeah. It was so unlike him, though any of us who thought we knew him. Yes. And um, but just those other moments, like you said, with children, mm -hmm. of a true, wonderful, really yes. felt emotion of yes. joy. Yeah. You know, when he came to the UK, there was also the uh, the media um, in England. The media had um, had hyped up quite a negative uh, feeling towards him. You know, God's Rottweiler and the right wing and all that kind of hardline uh, Catholic. Um, and there was a, an interview, not on the national television, but there was an interview with someone who, when Pope Benedict went to see Queen Elizabeth, 
in uh, Scotland. Second, no, this was in, in uh, Buckingham Palace. It was in Buckingham, okay. And uh, this person was on the Mall, which is the main road that goes down oh, to Buckingham sure. Palace. Um, and they interviewed this person and said, well, why have you come? You know, you're a Catholic. Why have you come to see Pope Benedict, who's visited the UK? <laughs> and this guy in Audison said, uh, I've, I've been watching the media and there's so much negativity about him and people are carping on. I just wanted to come and see for myself what he's like. And I can't say anything higher than a gentle, good and gracious man shines through. So, well, the media, because I, I, of course, covered that trip, and, and the media um, was was very, very negative, and it took the first day of, first, of meeting the Queen, of, and, um, in the, of day yes. in Scotland before he came down to London. It was just an amazing day, and I'm sitting in the Queen Elizabeth II Media Center watching yes. the journalists go from, oh my yes, word, this is quick. actually not mm -hmm. God's Rottweiler, this is a German Shepherd. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the gentleness, which yes. you referred to, which most people refer to, uh, seemed to be the, the key moment. He mm. was just genuine. Mm. And he talked to you. He looked you straight in the face. Yes. And he listened. Yes. to. He wanted to know what you had to say. Yes. So, so, Father Chris, just in, in concluding uh, remarks, what do you think will be, you know, two or three parts of, of his legacy? Certainly the ordinary, at which we've discussed at great lengths. Mm. I think there are two things really. One uh, main come to mind. One is the Pope of Unity. That his desire was that we should be one, um, yeah. and it is the you know the John six that the world may believe. He's an evangelist. I hope I'm an evangelist, and that's why I want people to believe and come to full communion, so the world believe in the one he has sent. So the Pope of Unity, and the second is that that he makes the faith, the Christian faith, um, so accessible. Um, again, it might be a radical thing to think, but the only way to be authentically human is by being fully Catholic. Yeah. It's as radical as that. Beautiful. It's the only way of being authentically human is by being Catholic. And he lived that authentic human life. And here he is. A perfect, perfect description. And I got an email the other day from a couple I met months ago at a restaurant in New York. The owner's a mutual friend. And uh, they were fascinated to learn I lived in Rome and were, had worked at and covered the Vatican. And so they had some questions anyway. So they wrote me a two-line email yesterday. And uh, in the subject line was Benedict Emeritus Sixteenth. He was a Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, in difficult times. Yes. Isn't that an amazing summary? These people are not Catholic, yes. but this is how they saw mm. Benedict, yes. a Holy Spirit in difficult times. So yes. I think on your beautiful words and on those words, um, we'll close our conversation, mm -hmm. and, uh, but not our friendship. That's going to go on as long Absolutely. as the Lord, you know, <laughs> keeps yes. me breathing and you breathing. Yes. So um, anyway, tomorrow you will, preside, you will join other priests at the, at the funeral. I will yes. be there. There's millions around the world who will be joining us yes. in prayers for the late pontiff. It's going to so. be a beautiful day, but a tough day. Exactly. A day of joy for him yeah, uh, and for us too, hopefully. And a day of hope, yes. I think. You know, we have to look at what yeah, he gave us, and it's a hope for, for our future. So on those words, I will close, and mm. thank you for thank you, coming Jay. into my life and um, many, many times in many ways and for being part of, of this interview segment. So God bless you, and I've got to come visit the most precious blood bearers. You're welcome anytime. Okay. Thanks, Jim. God take, bless. Take care.
For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.